My name is William Tortorella. I had a near-death experience in 1994 while I was out in Tucson, Arizona doing a trade show. It's a show that I already have done for many years, and it's actually the biggest gem and mineral show in the world. But they also sell jewelry there. My business was actually sterling silver and, and watches. But like I said, I've been doing this for years, and this, the whole city of Tucson, Arizona, in February becomes this gem show. They actually have the convention center filled. They have every ballroom in every hotel filled with vendors from all over the world, and a lot of vendors even working out of their hotel rooms. So it's a massive show, and people come from everywhere, Europe, all over the United States, Canada, Africa, Asia, everywhere in the world. Every year, there's usually something going on. You know, it's also flu season, cold season in February. Um, but this year was a little different. There was a drastic virus going on, and it just got worse and worse. People were getting deathly ill by the third day into the show. I was fine up until the third day. Then, and the fourth day when I woke up, I could hardly breathe. My throat was all swollen. Wound up having a terribly high fever. And I was at, trying to work uh, during this. But actually the day before, the lady in the booth across from me, she actually collapsed and just went down. So I was feeling very bad by about noontime and... Uh, I said, I have to get, you know, to the hospital. So I can, I was having trouble breathing at the time. It, it got that bad. And no, nobody knew what the virus was at, at that time. So I went to the, uh, the hospital. It was very, very busy. Uh, the whole, the waiting room was all filled with people. I mean, the, this thing must have been spreading around like a bad, bad flu virus type of thing. And they asked some of us, we want to go to medical centers. So I went, I went, wound up going to a medical center because I could be treated faster. So I went to the medical center in the early afternoon and they put me on oxygen right away because they said my oxygen levels were low. And then they hooked me up with IV antibiotic because I was telling them, you know, what I actually had. My, my throat was sore, swollen, and, you know, there was... There was pockets in my throat. It, it didn't look good. And they put me the IV antibiotic for a while. They, they changed the IV bag, I think, two or three times while I was there. Then after my oxygen levels came back up to a, sort of a normal level, they gave me antibiotics now in a pill form, told me to take them with me back, and... They also gave me an inhaler, you know, to help me breathe. And they told me, tomorrow morning, if you feel the same way, they said, get yourself to the hospital. So I went back to my hotel room, and I just I was racked in pain, and I was sweating from the fever. It was, it was a, a bad night before I fell asleep. Then when I fell, finally fell asleep, I wound up being a night of light and love. I actually stopped breathing. 
I remember actually how I left my body. And I remember, well, nowadays, uh, people like Buddhists tell me and things, a pituitary gland in your head. I thought I left through, I saw myself leaving my body through my eyes. I mean, that's how clear and profound this NDE is, I'm about to tell you. I actually saw myself leaving my body. I heard myself basically take my last breath. And now I'm floating above my body in this beautiful, gorgeous, fluorescent green mist. It was magnificent. It was magnified so many times. The, the color was the color of life. That's how I could put it. And I remember hovering over the bed, looking down at this cumbersome body. Now, at first, when I left my body, I realized it was mine. But now, this was something new was happening to me. I was feeling wonderful. I was feeling, I was feeling embraced. I felt a lightness that I've never felt before. And at that time, I actually started feeling a love come into me. And now I'm not recognizing myself other than that's a body on the bed. And I understand from the other side, they've explained to me that the spirit waits around the body to make sure there's no life left in the body. So at that moment, and I was hovering for a little while, at that moment, the brightness came from behind me. I could actually see the brightness come in like a like a beam of light on both sides. And I don't remember turning, but I turned instantly and I was drawn into this beautiful gateway, this beautiful tunnel of magnificent light. And now I'm in the tunnel and I'm moving and I'm starting to move faster and faster. And I feel nothing but love and embrace. And this love is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And the tunnel is made up of these beautiful colors. The colors were going by me and through me, and it was magnificent. It was absolutely magnificent. All I felt and was, I was part of that light itself. And I am moving. It, to tell you how it felt, it actually felt, I know I said the speed of light, but that's the only way I could explain it. It felt like I was moving at the speed of light, and I was part of the light itself. The light and colors were going by me and through me. And I remember arrival, my arrival, which I'll call heaven. And, oh, my gosh, at this point, I will never forget. I said, I'm home. I'm finally home. Thank God I'm home. And at that time, there were family and friends. I was in this big illuminated area. It was beautiful. Like, it, they came for a greeting. And, and that part was beautiful. But I remember a beautiful spirit approaching me, and I turned to it, and she said, yes, Bill, you're home. You're home in the light of our Lord. And she explained who she was. She said, my name is Antonia, and I am one of your guardians. I was with you on your way home. I said to her, you were with me? I didn't even realize anybody was with me at the time. I was moving so fast and just feeling this amazing love. Uh, you know, it was wonderful. And she says, yes, I'm the one that was responsible for bringing you to your body and taking you home. 
And she said to me, these are your family and friends. I said, I know I could feel them. And when she said, I'm in the light of our Lord, I said, I could feel him. I could feel Jesus. It was beautiful. I mean, this feeling of love was so different. The feeling of love was compounded. I can't explain it here because we're in the human form. But when we're in spirit form and you are light and love, it's a totally different kind of love. It's if you take the most thing you've ever loved in your life and expand on that, I could say a thousand times. Unbelievable. And then she says, you have a second and a third guide. And then my second guide appeared. And soon as he starts speaking, I knew this voice. Now, there's no mouth, so you don't see the person, but you're, in ter- you're t- speaking to each other with telepathy. I heard his voice in my head. It was my brother Peter's that died when I was a young boy. I was about 14 years old when my brother Peter died. He was, he was 15, 16, almost 16 years older than me. He was 30 when he passed away from a cancer. But he said to me, yes, Billy, this is Peter. And I was just ecstatic. This is when I start realizing about my own life again. And where I remembered my own life back on earth was when he at that moment said to me, it's time for your life review. So we just moved to another beautiful illuminated area, magnificent columns of beautiful crystal, just just gorgeous. And he said, your life review is going to start shortly. I said, I remember asking what a life review is. Well, your life review, so your audience knows, is they show you up there all, all the wrong you've ever done in your life all the right you've ever done. And it's it's just magnificent how it happens. Because at this moment, once it started, we were back in full body form. Now, Peter was standing alongside me. I was in my body, and he looked younger than I did. At the time, he looked like he did at his age, 30, when he died. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And I said, Peter, I remember saying, Peter, what, what am I to do or something on those lines? And he said, Bill, just pay attention now. And I remember them showing me clips of my life from when I was a little boy. Now they're showing me things that I might not have done that was so good in my lifetime. 
Um, I never did anything crazy wrong in my lifetime, but you know, all kids go through teenage things and do, you know, little bad things here or there, but nothing extremely bad. But one thing that I can say was very wrong that I did is my, my first marriage, I left my wife and son when my son was only two years old. And this time I felt and became their pain. I remember feeling this pain. It was so agonizing. It was horrible. I mean, they showed me things prior to this already. Like, I, you know, by mistake, I, you know, was I used to be into karate for years, and I was playing with my friends, and I hurt a friend real bad. But I, I hurt him in front of people, and not, not meaning to do it. It just happened because I had three friends behind attacking me at the same time. And I felt his emotion. And that, that's how that's how strong the, this life review was. This was incredible. But they went on and on to show me things, you know, going on through my whole lifetime. And it got to a point where I said, I, I can't take this anymore. Please, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please, I'm sorry. And then they say, now... Then I hear a voice that said, now we show him the good side. And it started again. Now it started different. It started when I was a kid and I was pretty, I wasn't well-to-do. Our family was not well-to-do, but we were comfortable. My mother owned a bar and grill across the street from a baseball field called Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, New York, where the Brooklyn Dodgers played, not the Los Angeles Dodgers. They used to play in Brooklyn in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And that's when she owned the bar in the 60s. They left to go out to Los Angeles in 1957 or 1958. But now they're showing me things like when my mom gave me some money, I shared it with all my friends. I brought my friends to the movies I paid for their popcorn and soda. And from when I was a, a, a young child, I was never selfish. I never believed myself to be selfish. I've done good things in my life as far as helping people. And But the most important part of this life review at the time when they I got to be, I'm an artist. And I used to work in an advertising agency in New York, but then I moved to Florida when I was, this is when I was still very young. I moved to Florida when I was 21 and there was no work in my field. So I had to transfer my occupation. So I actually became a paramedic and worked for the County of Miami. And now they showed me things in my life that I did as a paramedic. Now, Peter, the difference was, Peter was with me this time. I remember I remember him showing me on one of the times we got a call. We were heading up to our our we were heading up with our unit and we were heading up to our base because we had 24-hour shifts. And we were on I-95 and over the radio came a call. It says there was a 341, which meant an emergency car accident on 135th Street and I-95 North. 
And we were already on I-95 North heading up to our station. And I picked up the radio right away and I said, we got an ETA in less than two minutes because we were on about 95th Street already and I-95 headed northbound. So they called off the other unit. We got there and the first thing I saw was a truck and a car. That, the truck, the car must have hit the truck in the back. And I, I, my eyes went directly to, there was a child, a young boy must have been about 14 or 15 years old. He was sitting on the floor crying, crying. Then when they got out of the unit with the medic kit, he's yelling, my sister, my sister, my sister. And I look over and just at a glance, my partner and I look over at the same time and her head is through the windshield. And now it's massive, but, but thank God we were right on top of the accident when it happened. But now my partner and I have to decide, are we going to remove her from the glass? Or are we going to wait for the fire trucks to come with the cutters? And I looked at him and he looked at me and he said, Bill, I think we should take her. I said, I agree. Because if we waited, she would have bled to death. So we very, very carefully took her off the wood shell. I went outside and picked the top part of her head up and he got her from the inside and we towed her, put her on the gurney. And I remember she was, she was passed out. She was thrashing a little bit, but she was passed out. And I was holding her head, the top of her head, trying to put bandages around her head to hold it down with gauze pads when we finally got into the unit. And the brother was sitting right in the back of the ambulance. So I'm over on the side of the stretcher. I got my hand on the bottom of her neck and the top of her head, and I'm praying now. I'm asking God to help me. I said, God, help me. And I seen Peter's hand come in with mine. He was standing right alongside me. And this was magnificent at this time. We got right off to the hospital. Find General Hospital, which used to be called Parkway General. And they took her right into surgery. My partner, Danny, and I was, it was a very horrific accident. We were full of blood. And I prayed for that girl all day long. All day, I prayed for her. And, and Danny and the other guys in the unit said, Bill, you have to stop bringing your work home with you or bringing it along with you. But it was hard. It was hard not to think about that. So we went, we got through a whole shift, 24 hours. And I said the next morning, we were about ready to go back to the station, the main station, to drop the unit off. We were on 24 hours and finished. And I said, Danny, if you don't mind, I was the guy in the back. There was a paramedic that worked on the people. Danny was also a paramedic, but he was a driver. I said, if you don't mind, I would like to go to the hospital where we dropped her off. And it's about probably five miles, six miles out of the way. But Danny said, all right. We went to Parkway Hospital. We walked in through the emergency room. And I saw a nurse I know. And I said, I forgot what her name was, Ann or Becky. I said, you know what happened to that girl, young girl we brought in yesterday? And she turned around to me. And meanwhile, everybody was thinking she was dead. She turned around to me and said, do you want to meet her? And I said, chills went through my whole body. 
the hair on my arms was standing up. So she took us up to the room and her brother was sitting in the corner and she's sitting up in bed with her whole head bandaged up. But there was actually no cuts but little scrapes on her face. But her whole head bandaged up by her hairline. And the brother says to her, he says, this is the man that saved your life. And the parents were there. And it was such a joyous moment. I just felt wonderful. And these are the kinds of things that they showed me in my life review, the good, the good things. And more and more and more went on of the good things because there were so many things that I've done through the years when I was a paramedic. So I won't, you know, keep you with all that information because it's long. But, and I hear a voice that the good outweighs the bad and the whole grayness drops and we're back in our spirit form again. So it's, it's me, Peter, and Antonia. And Antonia said, or Peter said, I forgot which one, but they said, your third guardian is the person that gives you knowledge and wisdom throughout your life. He's that, I always explained it like the little person on the side speaking into your ear, that whisper in your ear is a path to your the right gateway to go through. So that's what we talk about intuition. And they announced Oron, my third guardian, and he came, he was magnificently glowing beam of light. At this moment, I looked down at myself and I turned from this misty green, beautiful mist to this magnificent beam of light. It was unbelievable. And he started explaining things to me, but he said we were going to rise. We were going to rise to another level now. And he said to me, "Bill, we're going to the Hall of Events." I didn't know what that was. I had no control over the situation. And Peter and Oren and I went to the Hall of Events. And at first, it was just looked like an illuminated, gigantic auditorium i said buildings look like crystals to me that's what they were like there was no need for sitting because we we're in our spirit form now but in the hall of events they showed me the past they showed me the present they showed me the future and it was magnificent they showed me the past beyond before my birth they showed me things that didn't have to do with me, like the war in Korea in the early 50s. I was born in 1952. I have relatives that were in that war, so maybe they showed me that because of that. But they showed me events. These were events that were special events that were concerning to everybody. They showed me events that led all the way up, all the way up. They showed me the event with Kennedy getting shot. They showed me the event with Martin Luther King getting shot. They showed me all the way up to my near my near death experience, but then beyond. The next event they showed me was 
I remember because I'm from New York. I had many friends working in those buildings. And I remember when they showed me these events, it was back in form again. We were actually moving. It was like being in a computer of a screen or, you know, how could the old um, flickering uh, things used to happen in a, in a movie? It was flickering, 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 but at great, great, great speeds, phenomenal speeds. And then it would stop. So it would bring us to this event and that event and on and on and on. But they stopped at 9-11. And now the building's coming down around us. And I started run. I didn't know if I was running towards the building or not. But Peter, Peter grabbed my eye. He said, Bill, this is your future. Nothing's going to happen. And I just stood there and... It was amazing because I felt no debris. I didn't feel anything. And I said, I have friends. I have friends in that building. I was emotional at this time. And at that moment, we were taken again. So it was like a ride. It was like a journey. And it, it was amazing. We were taken, and I believe we were taken to Baghdad because I knew I was somewhere in the Middle East due to the people's dress, the way people dress. And there was bombs going off all around us. And again, while we were there, I was noticing the bombs and I guess it was just instinct. But I remember running again and they said, Bill, you don't have to run. You don't have to run. And then they take me, they take me to the future, future which I believe are these times today. I mean, things have gotten to a point where families don't talk to each other anymore. All over what? Politics? It, it doesn't make sense. We're supposed to be a loving human, humans that help other humans through service. This is one of the most important things. I'm going to get up to these principles of enlightenment in a, in a little bit. But one of, the, one of the principles of enlightenment is service. Our being, our spirit grows while in service. And they showed me two paths for the future. They showed me a path that was so destructive and horrible. And then they showed me a path that was almost like a utopia. It was beautiful. So I believe today we have some major decisions to make in the world. People have to sit and talk together. People have to think about maybe feeding people in the world that are hungry instead of these whatever is going on at the time, wars or anything else. It, it's very, very, very important because we don't want to wind up as a society. And this is all around the world going on. I mean, we don't want to end up as a society that's living like in the Mad Max days. We want to live on the other side where it's utopia where people do and help and work and love and pass good on to others. We don't have to be in a place 
where we have to fight for clean water and food. You know, it could get to a point where people take and take and take and take and take from this earth, but they don't replace and replace and replace what they take. So it could get to a point that gets so bad, we, our nourishment comes from Mother Earth's veins, her rivers. Her nostrils are our oxygen that we breathe. So very, very important. If I could get anything across with my new book, it's for people to come together somehow, some way. But it's so important to have that and to feel that. Now, what happened at this point at the Hall of Events? Then it just all, everything would just disappear at one time. And then we were moving on again. So we're, we're past the Hall of Events now. They bring me up to a final plateau. And these beautiful, magnificent, knowledgeable angels are all around me. And they're explaining things to me that is so advanced. They're explaining. I had one angel approach me of great, great knowledge, approach me with, with a number system. And I would see these numbers. He made it visual. It was like floating crystals floating down that would light and the beautiful number sequences. He said these numbers are extremely important. He pointed out numbers like three, six, nine, even numbers like you see in in Hinduism and Buddhism, the Buddhism with their the beads that they have, their prayer beads are this 108. Those numbers are important. Um, I'll explain why in a few minutes. There's Buddhist um, Hindu temples with with beautiful uh, cathedrals on top. 108. Everything is in numbers of 108. Our universe evidently runs around this number for, for some reason. And the three, six, nine are important as well. Because if you take that number and that 108 number, it's the 1818 that I've seen up there. Because whenever you're looking at a life path number, all the zeros are always drop. But the physical number is 18. If you take the 108, you divide it by six, you have the number 18. So these are numbers that's been around for tens of thousands of years. Our universe is based on principle of numbers and music. This 108 is so important that, like I said, if you divide it by six, the number is 18. Three times six is 18. Well, Nikola Tesla had those numbers too. But these are the numbers of the universe. These are angel numbers. They've been around for years and years and years. So you divide the 108 by 6, it's 18. 
Three times six is 18. Three plus six is nine. 18 divided by two is nine. Nine take away three is six. The three, six, nine fit everything. Now, what's important about the 108 is that that's the actual distance from our moon to our Earth. When you take the diameter of the moon and divide it by the distance to the Earth, it's 108. If you take the diameter of the Earth and divide it by the distance to the sun, the 93 point some odd million miles, it's 108. So there's something to these numbers. And I believe that's how the three, six, and nine relates to that. But now let me get to the important parts. The important parts from these great master spirit angels or nine principles of enlightenment. These nine principles, if followed, can change our world forever. There's principles of service. There's principles of intuition. There's principles of choices. These principles are simply simplistic. They're simple. It's nine very important, important principles, which I call the laws of the universe. The first principle is one should not ever take another's life. The reasoning why is a little different than what we might be thinking. Of course, it's the wrong thing to do, and it doesn't, it doesn't work in the spirit world. It just doesn't happen. But the principle of taking someone's life is extremely important, and it's just as important never to take your own life because you have to live your life out for as long as you possibly can. You have to take as many of the lessons you can learn on a daily basis and use them. But the principle of taking someone's life, you don't know what that person's grandson or granddaughter might've been able to achieve. They could have been someone that had the cure for cancer. And it's the number one principle and law of enlightenment is not to take a life. That's one. Intuition. Your intuition is probably, I'd say, the most important principle to follow while you're alive. If we listen to our intuition, I tell you, we always have someone speaking to us on our shoulder. And if you have a bad feeling about something, to take heed of that feeling. Understand, it might be a message from your guardians. I remember being taken once. My ex-wife and I were taken, physically taken, while we were on a business trip to Thailand. 
I did what I was supposed to do when I landed at the airport. I used to do trade shows all over the country, and I used to go all around the world and buy inventory. But that's why it's so important that we listen to our intuitions, because these are messages from our guides. Our guides are with us throughout our lifetime, and they just... It's just one of one of the principles that's extremely important. Then there's principles of love, principles of choices. There's principles of lessons, and it's just wonderful. I I do explain it in my in my book. And at this moment, after they explained the whole nine principles to me, there's a very, I want to tell you about the, the ninth principle. The ninth level of enlightenment is the understanding of all ninth principles. But the ninth principle itself is about Mother Earth. And that's what we were talking about before. If we keep taking and taking and taking and not replacing, you know, I believe in when you knock down forests to replace them. You know, things like this. We need the oxygen. We need the water. We, we can't keep polluting our world. And we have to take care of people that are in need. So we should be doing humanitarian things. We should gift of our love. Our love should be a major mission here. So after all the principles were explained to me, this beautiful, beautiful spirit, glowing, beautiful spirit said to me that I must return. Well, in the number sequence, I have to go back there for this one minute. In the number sequence, they explain my alert system in my number sequence. This number 66, this was my alert system. This is when the angels were trying to get in touch with me. And I would see these, that's a number that I already was used to my whole lifetime. I had some days where the number 66 would pop up right in front of me with everything. I'd look up all of a sudden, I'm at exit 66 while I'm driving. I look down at my watch, I'm at, it's six past six. I look at a billboard and it says 66 on it. And they explained to me that was my alert system. And I had to pay very close attention to that because good or bad, something big or unusual was going to happen. It didn't necessarily mean bad. Some of the major beautiful events with 66. So... Let's go back to the end again here. This young, beautiful spirit approaches me and she says, you have the knowledge of the nine principles of enlightenment. You must return. I said, I, I, remember, I remember practically fighting. I didn't want to go. I, I had so much love. All I felt and was over on the other side was love. It was, it was a feeling that can't be explained in this body that I'm in now. 
the love is so overwhelming. You don't want to leave that once you're there. And she said, you must return. And I was begging and pleading, I want to stay. I want to stay. Please don't send me back. She said for the third time, Dad, you must return. I was still begging. The dad thing went over my head. I didn't even really recognize it at the time. She said, I am six of six. You must return. That was the last. Then I'm in this vortex being pulled back. It wasn't as, it wasn't as comfortable as going. It was pulling me back at great speeds, and I'm floating like a rag doll. And I remember waking up at that instinct. I didn't have any air in my body. So I went <gasps> like that. I couldn't breathe. The only thing that moved in my whole body was my throat at the time. And I was just trying to get some air into my body. After about 10 minutes, 10 minutes went by, I finally get tingles in my arms and my legs. And now I reach over to grab the phone. I think I dialed zero. I don't think it was 911. I think I dialed zero at the hotel. And they, and they, they picked it up. I said, I need to go to the hospital. And I got to the hospital somehow. I don't know if they came and took me or my fellow worker next door came and took me. I was totally disoriented at the time, but I was in the hospital because I remember waking up with the, I must have passed out in the hospital again. But to explain where the number system came in that was so important, years had passed by. And in 2000, June, the sixth month of the sixth day, my daughter was born. 66. That's a number that will be ingrained in my life forever. She was born on June the 6th of the year 2000, six years later. And that's the story. One more point is very important. I had visited my doctor after that, after I came home, I didn't speak to anybody about it. I would, didn't know what I didn't know what a near-death experience was. I never heard the words at all. And my wife told me, "You have to speak to your doctor," because she believed me. And I made an appointment to see him. Now, this doctor has been with me since I'm in my early 20s, since I've been a paramedic in Miami. And now I'm 42 years old back then. In 94, I'm 42. And he said to me when I get in the office, what, what's ailing you? What's hurting you? I said, well, I'm just here for a, a, my annual checkup. Because really nothing was physically hurting me at the time. And he gives me the whole, and he does all blood work up and everything, the whole gamut. And I said, could I talk to you, Dr. Vasquez? And he says, of course. And he says, is it something personal? I said, yes. He says, well, follow me. We went back to his uh, personal office. We sat down, and I just let everything out. 
After I finished talking to Dr. Vasquez, he stood there for about 30 seconds, and he just said to me, Bill, I don't want you to be nervous, but you just told me the same exact story that seven of my patients told him prior. People that died in the hospital, people that died outside of the hospital, people that died in their homes, or he said very similar story. He says, I think what you had was a near-death experience. And I said, what's that? Well, he said, let me do one more test. So he took me back to the exam room. He hooked me up with all the electrical cardiogram and he took a long electrical cardiogram on me. And back those times, it was all on the paper. And he was going through the paper and going through the paper and going through the paper. And he, he turns up to me and he says, Bill, when did you have your heart attack? I said, Dr. Vasquez, I, you know I never had a heart attack. Well, he says, well, it sure looks like you had a heart attack. And he said, Bill, a near-death experience is when somebody dies and they come back. And luckily, I'm lucky. I'm lucky I had a doctor like that because a lot of doctors had no belief in that. But for some reason, he did. And he explained it to me and he said to me, he told me at that moment, he said, he asked me to, he told me to read a book by the name Saved by the Light. So I read it, I read a couple other books and I, the funniest thing, two of the books that I read, the person themselves, when they got to heaven, said the same thing I did. I'm home, I'm finally home. And they used the same words, thank God I'm finally home. And that, that, that was amazing. And that's the story.